This podcast is not canon. It is not endorsed by Lucasfilm, The Story Group, Disney, Delray, Fantasy Flight, West End Games, or anyone else with actual stakes in Star Wars. Again, this podcast is not canon. Welcome to Of Dice and Droids, a Star Wars tabletop podcast brought to you by the Tashi Station Network. Join Brian, Nancy, Rocky, Sho, Saf, Jay, and Game Master Tom in their original campaign, The End of All Things. have a special interlude episode up for you this week because our game manager is in the middle of moving. Yay. <laughs> uh, here with us this week are myself, Brian. We've got Nancy. Hi. We have Sho. Hello. And we've got Jay. Hello, hello. And of course, the aforementioned in the middle of moving game manager, Tom. Hello. All right, so, you know, we don't really have too much of a format this week. Um, we wanted to get a recording in because it's been a little while, and we're not going to be able to get another regular episode out for a couple of weeks. Um, so we just kind of wanted to get together and kind of do an assessment of where we are with the show, answer some questions, uh, open up the floor to some discussion topics, and uh, see where we go from here. Um, so first thing is... Uh, Players, game manager, what do we think so far? Nancy, we'll start with you since you're uh, you're someone who hasn't really tabletopped before. No, I haven't, and I really had no idea what to expect. Um, I didn't know if I'd like it or not, but um, I'm really enjoying it so far. I've learned that um, making strong, active choices makes for a fun game. And uh, <laughs> the, the stark difference between your character in our first episode and our second was delightful. I, I listened to it again and I thought I was boring. So I decided not to be boring the second time around. <laughs> you succeeded. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, if, if we die, well, you know, it's just a game. So, you know, try to be more uh, carefree than I am in real life. And I actually worry about actually dying. And that's what inspired you to blow up an entire cantina. I was trying to save our lives, okay? By shooting thermal detonators? Hey, it worked. We got out of there alive. Only because the game manager showed us mercy. Hey, whatever we had to do. Uh, show. what about you? What are you, uh, what are you thinking so far at this point? I'm having a lot of fun. Basically just playing like, make believe it's like like doing improv again but with set boundaries so it's fun yes i get i can torment percival it's great <laughs> <laughs> oh my i i uh jay and show i have to say i i, I recorded uh, your episode from 
our studio here. So I was listening to the whole thing, making sure everything was sounding good. And oh my God, your team is just delightful. Yeah, it, oh, it came together so well. And honestly, uh, the game has been inspiring me to draw for the first time in far too long. So, yeah. So, uh, so Jay, uh, how, how are, how are you enjoying, uh, the campaign so far? Well, it's interesting because this one is more of a campaign of pure imagination, right? Uh, previously, when I've done tabletop, it's been in person. We've had sessions. We've had maps. We draw things out. It was very face-to-face. And here we're you know, doing it across the internet. But because we have such great character concepts and that we foil off of each other and we have a great GM giving us narration and sort of letting us build our set, like it, it's gone more smoothly than I think even our in-person gaming sessions have. And I'm just having a blast. Yeah. And I, I agree. I was really nervous about this. because I had no idea how well it would work with every one of us on completely spot, different spots of the globe. But, uh, it, it's, it's a testament to the strength of the players and, uh, and our game manager that it's just been so much fun and so delightful. So that, of course, leads us to Tom. Tom, where? what are you thinking so far? <laughs> oh, it's terrible. You guys are ruining everything. <laughs> no. Uh, ruining it's Star been, Wars yet again. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that's what we do. Ruin Star Wars. Uh, no, it's been, uh, it's been fantastic so far um, uh, in, in large part because, and this was something, I mean, we've talked, we talked about this during our like zero episode and we kind of talked about it a few times since then, but just the idea of people focusing less on the, um, the nitty gritty mechanics of like, I want, you know, how do I maximize this potential role or how do I like game the game system so that I can gain the most advantages for my character to do something. And instead of worrying about all those things, worrying most about just crafting and uh, embodying a character that they want to play in a galaxy, in a world that they um, are, you know, really excited to explore. Um, and every single person has done that, you know, in both groups and in all the sessions we've done so far. And that makes my job easier because I, you know, I adjudicate the rules here and there, tell you guys what dice you need, like how this works mechanically, stuff like that. But it also just helps the story build and it helps give me opportunities to present you guys with fun things you could do or fun new characters you can meet. Um, and it just keeps everything moving, which for a game and Brian, um, you just mentioned this and everyone else brought this up, the idea of a little bit of worry about playing virtually rather than playing around a table. And because all of you have kind of really bought into your characters and really just worried about playing as your characters, that's helped keep the games moving, even though we're using, you know, the virtual space, even though we're all separated by time zones and actually by continents, you know, in, in the case of our good friend Saf. Um, so it's been great so far. I'm really excited, despite the fact that you guys have ruined my carefully um, coordinated <laughs> GM plans uh, more than once. But that's kind Hi. of the that's kind of how a good game goes. If game is going well, it probably means that you're deviating from whatever the original plan might have been for the GM and you're going into unexplored places with really exciting possibilities. So that See, actually... That, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. That's... Um, where you're saying, like... I, I really noticed that it's been going really smoothly, too. And, like, when people have asked me how it's been going, I'm just like, well, it's... Like, it's so streamlined and nice because our GM just, like, takes care of all of the mechanical stuff and we can just focus on RPing. So I was thinking, like, it's a lot easier for us and you're saying it's a lot easier for you. So, hey, nice trade-off. 
Yeah. And oh, by the way, show, I looked up what shot gloves actually look like in the fantasy flight system and also sort of in Star Wars widely. Your drawing is like pretty damn accurate. Um, <laughs> I did. Yeah, no, I am. Um, so kudos so for I, that. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I work in a comic shop now and we have a game section and I went and I flipped through the uh, Edge of the Empire book, found shot gloves. And I was like, dang, these are basically the same, but the controls are on the other side. Yeah, it was pretty fun. So, you know, this actually brings us into an, another good question. And uh, I'll say for everyone here tonight, at any point, if you want to bring up a topic or ask a question, fire away. We're just going to kind of freeform this discussion tonight. But, um, Tom, uh, how how is a GM, do you react to players doing weird things that you don't expect, like blowing up a cantina? Um, well, I'm going to tell you a GMing secret. Um, and anyone who has plans on GMing or is GMing, I encourage you to avail yourself of this secret. But um, one of two things is happening when you guys do something that unexpected. Either one, it's not unexpected. It's sort of like I've thought that this is an, a possible eventuality. Like, for example, blowing up the cantina. When I put thermal detonators all over that place, I did anticipate that at some point it might get blown up. So... <laughs> In one case, it's either that I've sort of – it's even if it's a remote possibility, I've thought of it in advance and just thought of what's my general reaction going to be regardless of what the dice say and how am I going to play off that. But the other thing that I do, um, and I do this whether we're playing – whether I'm playing Star Wars, if I'm playing Dungeons & Dragons, really any RPG system, is over time I've accumulated a whole bunch of more or less static – one-off scenarios they're not even it's not even like a full campaign it's it can be a, down to like a single conversation topic everything up to a uh, yeah, battle or whatever and i just have a bunch of them and they're all just neutral and if something happens in a game that i wasn't ready for and i'm like darn it i need a battle i didn't think of this out man i need a battle i just go to my sort of my inventory of these neutral you know gaming elements and i just pull one of them out and i use it and to the people I'm playing with, for the most part, at least I hope that it usually does. It feels like this is like an organic reaction by me and it keeps the game going. But in reality, it's just me it's just me pulling something out of thin air that I've kind of stashed away for just this this moment so that I can react without having to derail the game and be like, uh, oh no, I didn't plan for this. Give me a second. Everyone, five minute break. I need to figure this out. Um, oh, and it's yeah, honestly a lot of fun. It's like the most the fun that happens. Um, because, uh, you know, I get to plan on the fly. I get to kind of react on the fly. I get to try to come up with like a better plan that I already had. Cause oftentimes when players do something I wasn't expecting, they're improving upon the base story that I've created. They're doing something better than I would have thought if I was just like pushing them forward on like a railroad track of story. So it's honestly pretty awesome. Um, but I, I do try to plan a little bit for that kind of stuff to happen uh, and plan in advance so that it keeps the game flowing. Otherwise, I as a GM would constantly just be like, oh, no, I need a break. Oh, no, I'm not ready. And the game would just be stuttered and it wouldn't be it wouldn't be it wouldn't flow. Very cool. Um, so uh, a question that actually came up uh, via email and Twitter a few times, I thought I'd just throw here into the basic discussion topics that we're going to hit on is. How do you go about crafting a campaign for your players? Um, so it, I'm, it usually starts with um, 
it usually starts with figuring out what kind of game the players want because every play session or every table of players is different. You know, uh, all of us sitting around the table talking about what we want out of an RPG. If I was to ask, you know, five or six more people to come in the room after talking to you guys and um, ask them the same question, they would have completely different answers. And that has to do with everything from their level of experience, age, what they generally like in terms of pop culture in the world, like everything. So the first thing I always try to do is figure out what kind of game my players are into. Are they into a, a game where they just want to like fight in battles and kill things and maybe do some super tactical like, you know, battling and war type stuff? Then cool. I know I need a, you know, a battle heavy game, not a ton of role playing, not a lot of hanging around and investigating. We're going to really just fight, fight, fight. Do I have people who are really into like theater and they really are into improv and they really like just playing as characters and they don't really want to do a lot of fighting and tactical nonsense. They just kind of want to sit around a cantina and chat in universe. Okay, then I know that we need more conversation heavy campaign, maybe some little extra investigation, maybe some more downtime baked in or let some more free time for the players to just say like, hey, I'm going out into this town and I want to look for this random thing. Um so it usually starts with asking each player kind of what they want out of a game. And then on that, coming up with what I think at least would be the framework of a fun story. So in this case, I was like, well, we're going to let's just start with dealing with the aftermath of Jabba the Hutt dying and what happens in that power vacuum. And let's play around in there and see what happens. And that's kind of all I do as far as framing a basic game. Um, because again, I want the players, I want all of you as we're playing to inform the story and to grow it out. But that's kind of where I start. You should just, as a GM, just talk to your players, ask them, what do you like? What do you don't like? Um, most people, um, will be more than happy to tell you. And you'll be surprised to find a lot of players have never been asked that question before. Not because they've been playing with GMs who are bad. It's not a bad thing if you don't tell, you don't ask that. I've played with tons of good GMs who never asked me what I wanted out of the game. They were just really good at delivering like a, a super engaging game that I really liked. But I would say just start by asking the players. And if the players don't know, then, you know, you do your best to come up with something that's balanced. And, uh, you know, as you go, you just adjust. Okay. So N Nancy, I, I, I've got a question for you. Mm -hmm. Um, I think of everyone playing the game, you had the least amount of tabletop gaming experience. Yeah. Um, what were some concerns you had going into this into this gaming process? Uh, I think mostly I was just concerned with just that I wouldn't really know what to do. And I know that sounds dumb because we're telling a story and it's, you know, we're telling the story based on our choices and everything. But like, I was very hesitant about not messing things up and I wanted to you know choose the right you know make the right choice and all of that um and it was it was really after kind of like watching the rest of the people from my team play and then w listening to the other group that I was kind of like started to realize it's that it's a lot more of a collaboration than you know just one person you know determining what what the game is um but also like i i haven't really done role playing before like i used to play world of warcraft but i didn't really role play in it i was just kind of you know i just played as myself and so role playing like kind of trying to figure out okay knowing what i know as a character versus knowing what i know as as the player and how do you reconcile them and you know and that sort of thing, not letting my knowledge affect 
the game that we're doing. So just kind of those mechanical things. And uh, you had taught, you had talked um, on your personal blog about playing this game. Uh, mm-hmm. do, do you see any value coming at this from a writer's perspective? Oh, yeah, because it's all about choices and character agency. And, you know, I, you know, sometimes the story happens to characters and books, but you always have to make sure that they that they are acting as well, because otherwise and it's kind of like, well, what what the heck are we reading about this person if they're not going to make any choices? So, you know, let the story happen, but also know when you have to do something to to affect it. Okay, so open-ended question for all of the players. Um, what went into your character creation process? <laughs> How did you come up with their personality, their background? I want to um, hear from Jay first. Yeah, I, I, I think <laughs> I want to hear from Jay first on this. <laughs> Oh boy. Well, um, the basic genesis of this character is just the character I played in the first RPG I ever did, where we were trying to design a character design for my, my character, and we were making it was in the uh, Wizards of the Coast saga system. And we decided to make him a noble, and you know, we picked different traits for him, and he ended up having traits that were incompatible with the character of the campaign, which was being lost in space because I had some sort of absurd orbital range miniaturized comm link or something like that. And so I, I started trolling the GM at every single stage. And I thought, well, this is kind of fun, but what if I did it instead of trolling the GM, what if I trolled the other characters? And I just built that into my character design. <laughs> so I went Everything with, a, now. right. I, I went with a character <laughs> archetype from the West end games, original star Wars RPG. They had a, a character ar- archetype called court fop. And I like, I thought, this is the perfect person to build my character around. And he's just crazy and silly and obsessed with utter frivolity. And he's just honestly self-absorbed and in his own world and loving it, loving every moment of being alive and really just loving himself. And, and show what, what went into designing your character's sort of background and personality? Um, well, I actually, I actually had difficulty thinking of like background and personality because I was like, okay, I don't want to do a human. Hmm, should I do Togruta or Celestian? Let's do Togruta. That sounds kind of fun. Let's be a mechanic because that also sounds kind of fun. Um, uh, and wanted to have something a little bit different than uh, like smuggler or pilot or something like that. Um. But then, like, with the Zero episode, I was the only person who didn't mention my obligation because I ha- I seriously could not think of a good one looking at, like, the list. Um, I was like, oh, maybe family. Wait a second. D- does some Googling on to agree to family structures. No, that won't work. Uh, so, um... Then, at some point, I don't know. It's I, I think it's probably just because I build Gundam models a lot. It was just like, wait a second, what if I just like make, what if my character is just obsessed with building model ships and is just ridiculous like that? (laughs) It's like, okay, so this character is ridiculous, needs a lot of money to do this thing. Um, I think most of it cemented though when, uh, 
me and Jay and Saf were emailing back and forth, figuring out how our characters would possibly end up in the same group together. And it was just like, oh, well, what if, what if, uh, I think it was, it was, Jay was just like, well, what if we hired you for a job? And it was like, yeah, and then you can't pay me back. And I, I loved so. that little detail, by the way. It was basically uh, Ash and Misty's relationship from Pokemon. Oh <laughs> my god, happened. it is! So, Saf is our Brock. <laughs> we almost named our sh- Before we found out that our ship had already had a name, we were going to name it the Thundershock or something. <laughs> oh my god, I love it! That's actually, actually, show, I'm I'm really glad that you brought that up because I, I had just remembered something and not to backtrack too much about the previous question about designing a game, but this goes to designing characters. You should absolutely feel free the way that you guys did to like, look at other things that you like, like in pop culture, in writing in whatever. And if you like a storyline or you like a character, or you like a type of relationship dynamic, absolutely steal it and just borrow it for your game. I mean, you know, change some stuff around, change some names so that your players or your your GM or your fellow players don't be like, uh, you guys are just the characters from Pokemon or this is totally the storyline from that comic book we all just read. But if you like something like that, absolutely use it as the basis and foundation. It makes your life so much easier for both a player and for a GM. Um, also, I I really like that you guys decided that you were the characters from Pokemon. Oh, that's so we- wonderful. And then we went and had a, like a long discussion about Pokemon and our emailing and yeah, it was very entertaining. Oh, so that was just kind of the basis for, okay, so my, my character doesn't really like Percival at all. <laughs> and uh, that is basically all of my backstory. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Uh, you know, uh, for, for my character, I didn't know what I wanted to do with this character. So I did two things that maybe in hindsight are kind of stupid, but you know, I ran with it. Uh, <laughs> my character did dumb is, things. <laughs> uh, yeah, my character is, and I can't believe I'm admitting this. The foundation is based on a character of a piece of fan fiction. I wrote when I was 16. <laughs> uh, really the only things there. He's a real jerk. Yeah. The, the only, the only things carried over the background of the character. And this is my attempt to, make this character not suck um the other thing was i really wanted to go with this kind of blank slate and see where the character went from there um because i I didn't really know yet so i wanted to get a couple gameplay episodes to kind of feel out who this character was going to be and i've kind of settled in on and i kind of love this this character is the is the uh xander harris of our group he is the butt monkey and i love it oh xander I mean, Xander, Xander's terrible, but okay, imagine Xander, but without the neediness. Nice guy. I, nice guy issues. He is just the butt, uh, this, so my character hobby. is just the, yes, I'm hobby. <laughs> I am the butt monkey. Uh, so Nancy, what about your character? Um, Kind of the same. Like I have a background in mind for my character that um, I, I'm, you know, I'm assuming will come out over the course of play, but um, she's... Uh, I, I also like the idea of kind of building out the backstory as I go and like figuring out what parts of the backstory I want to I want to use. It's kind of like it's kind of like when you create a character for a book and you or, you know, create a world and you 
you come up with all this great stuff and then you don't use most of it because you're not info dumping and it you just kind of sprinkle things in as they go. You know, it's like you only see the tip of the iceberg. So um, and and that was one of the things that, you know, to to go back to one of the things in the first episode, there was a part when the bartender who was uh, B. Arthur uh, pra- praise praise B to B. I failed um, <laughs> my flirt role with B. Arthur. Hey, it's hard to flirt with B. Arthur. She's she's a good lady, she's a classy lady. But um, and she, you know she's saying that did she know me from somewhere? And I was kind of like, uh, no, I've never been to Tatooine. Um, but and then you know that's something I think if I could go back, I'd 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 go roll with it more. You know, that was very much me going, uh, the ball's in my hand. What do I do? What do I do? <laughs> yeah, I would have been interested to see how you would have played that situation in the second episode. Well, we can see if Tom throws me another one of those <laughs> in another episode. Yeah, that, that's something I'm interested that Tom's kind of carved out for you, because it seems like there's some mystery I'd... with your character. Yeah, we'll find out, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find out. I am very interested to find out. Um, okay, so Thomas, this is more of a question for you. Other than the obvious Star Wars connection, um, we are doing a podcast that's really hyping up the Fantasy Flight system. So what in your mind are the benefits of using Fantasy Flight's gaming platform as opposed to the Dungeons & Dragons system Wizard of the Coast has or something else out there? Um, well, okay, so I am going to answer this in the context of Star Wars because... Um, <coughs> If you because well while this this type of gain system a dice pool system um, does exist for let's say Dungeons and Dragons you know sort of fan you know sort of more classic fantasy esque uh, uh, role playing type games the fantasy flight system is while not wholly unique is pretty unique for the Star Wars system um, so I like it because uh, and you guys see this yourselves when you guys are you know, rolling your, your various checks and things is that the concept of storytelling is baked into the rolling system is baked into the mechanics. I mean, you guys see, uh, that when we roll dice, it's not just like a success or failure. That's almost never the outcome. The outcome is often like success, but this kind of weird negative thing happens or failure, but actually this sort of like surprise opportunity emerges. And that just opens up the storytelling opportunities. It opens up the, like the, the number of sort of outcomes that can happen, even you know, from situation to situation, uh, it introduces a lot more surprise and perhaps even some some more unexpectedness to the gameplay. Um, so that's one of the things I, that I, I really feel like. That about puts it. that this dice system in particular puts a lot of power into the player's hand to really direct where the narrative and story goes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it it puts a lot of power and, and gives you additional agency in helping to make those decisions, but it also encourages you to take more chances because, again, you can have a situation where something negative happens, where you fail whatever your actual object object was or objective was, but 
you know, something positive can come out of it. So it's, you're not just in a binary state of, well, you either did it correctly or you screwed up entirely. And so it encourages you to maybe try things that might be more risky overall, or might, you know, might be a little bit more difficult, might, you know, the math might not be in your favor, but because there's this possibility that these unexpected things can happen, I think it encourages players to take some more chances to maybe try things that are a bit more creative than they might otherwise, if they're, you know, if it was just, well, you either did it right or you failed completely. Um, so I really like that. Now, about Fantasy Flight in particular for Star Wars, you know, I love, you know, the D20 system that Wizards was using um, when Wizards had it in the early 2000s. And of course, the West End game system that so much of, you know, Star Wars lore actually comes out of and so much of Star Wars gaming comes out of are both wonderful. But they are... I mean, I don't want to call them dated, but I mean, they're the older systems. So the present system, the one that is the most supported at the moment and the one that is the most widely available um, is the Fantasy Flight system and the one that is getting the newest content. And so is sort of keeping up with content, you know, with Star Wars content as it's being generated in movies and books, TV shows, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's the reason why I would vouch for it as the particular Star Wars system to use just because it's the most current one. Um but I just love its versatility as a as a storytelling component. And I love that it, you know, it's a little grittier than things like D&D in certain aspects. You know, we have you guys don't just have like armor and health. You've got sort of like, you know, your your mental health as well as your physical health. There's combat for space, you know, for spaceships. There's, you know, there's just all sorts of like nitty gritty details you can get down to. But we can also play it on a very high level, kind of like we do, where there's a lot more emphasis on just storytelling and characters. Yeah. Um, and I mean, Nancy, would you, if we were using just a simple success fail dice roll system, would you have taken a chance at shooting thermal detonators? Uh, probably not. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're, you're absolutely right, Tom. Um, the way that the dice pools and the sort of, um, the sort of possibilities that this system generates makes it. It not only encourages the player to take more risks, but it makes it more fun to take more risks. Um, just because I know if I, f if I quote, fail a roll, it might open up a possibility for me to do something interesting despite that failure. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, so kind of like the X-Wing books in that way, because like, even if they fail at something, that might just open up more ridiculous opportunities yeah yeah so uh, jay you've played with a few systems yourself right yeah the the pen and uh, the tabletop version we did was uh saga d20 and then i did a a play-by-post system of west end games and i have to say that i like the the flexibility of of this new fantasy flight system a lot more because everything's not stat driven and that's one of the things that frustrated me most about rpgs is that you know i had to build a certain type of character. I had to put my numbers in certain areas. I had to worry about, you know, adding a dice or adding a plus pip here and there. And then whenever we did, you know, when we when we get to combat, which I, you know, we haven't done in our game at least, but when we get to combat, you have your grid squares and everything is numeric. And a lot of people have fun with that because there's definitely a, a great strategy and mental component to it. But I think for Star Wars and especially the kind of game we're running, we're running over distance. I think Fantasy Flight, the more cinematic approach, is the perfect place, the perfect gameplay style because it encourages more, more 
pure storytelling. Yeah, and I think I think Fantasy Flight System really lends well to what we're doing here as a serial storytelling podcast. Um, I mean, we could do we could do a great one with a D and D like system. I know the guys over at Penny Arcade with Acquisitions Incorporated do that, but for our purposes, I feel like this system works really well. Um, so we have some listener questions that we'll uh, wrap up this brief little interlude episode with. Um, Mark asks, and I think this is a good Tom question, how are you able to play tabletop pen and paper RPGs with all of you in different locations? So I, I think this is, uh, this is getting to the mechanics of how we're doing this. Um, the short answer is we have the technology to do it. Um, it's, it's really wonderful. Um, you know, we play, I mean, we're talking over Skype right now, but we play via Google Hangout. Um, Google Hangout has specifically for Star Wars actually has a little plugin where we can all roll dice together and see it all together. Um, I provide hyperlinks for, you know, when you guys need to see a map of something, there's so many assets online. If I just need a, a cantina, like here's what the inside of the cantina looks like. I just show you guys a hyperlink and we're all there together. Um, same goes with our character sheets. You know, we've all got PDFs and things. So everyone, it's really easy to get on the same page with, uh, a game because of the technology that we have. It's super simple to get everyone the maps that we all need to look at as if we were all sitting around the same like kitchen table or coffee table with these things spread out in front of us. Um, so from that perspective, that's the easiest, that's how we are able to, to do it really easily. Um, Jay, you mentioned having played play by post, which is more or less like you're playing by email. So rather it being real time, you're playing on a forum or an email chain. Um, that's obviously slower and not you know, quite as it has its own uh, challenges and opportunities like this does. But the important thing outside of the technology is that you understand sort of the limits. So because we're playing virtually, you know, we, you know, I play a little more fast and loose with like distances on the map because we're not all sitting around a table and we don't have miniatures and, you know, we can't sort of precisely measure things out or look at the grids, which takes time. You know, it slows the game down. And even in person, that would be faster, but it would still slow the game down. So when we're playing online, I make sure that my descriptions are super succinct, that my descriptions are super clear, ask lots of extra questions of you guys to be like, okay, you know where you are. Are you sure you want to do this? Are you are you certain about this? What exactly are you targeting? Who You know, those kinds of questions because that helps orient all of the players. And then, like I said, you just make sure that, you know, I've got the hyperlinks if I need to show you guys what your ship looks like or show you guys a map of wherever you guys are. Um, it's really easy to do. It's, I mean, it's so much easier than it was even two or three years ago, um, and it gets easier all the time. There are a host of um, of character creation tools, of all sorts of tech things for creating maps, sharing maps. I mean, we are for this podcast kind of at the barest top level surface of the tech we could be using for RPGs. Um, so. It's all out there and available for you if you just kind of Google the types of RPG tech and assets that there are. And there are tons of forums just dedicated to people talking about their setups. I've heard everything from people using like overhead projectors that they then, you know, attach to their computer so they can literally like scan live images onto the Internet that they draw on wow. all the way up to people using like second laptops and the laptop cameras to show a board on the floor of the GM's like house where the GM is actually moving pieces around everybody else. I mean, it kind of is endless. We, we are a little more lo-fi than, than those <laughs> things, a little less complicated. Um, but mostly it's just about coordination and planning and then making sure you have everything you need. Um, it's not really that 
that difficult. It, it is nice having that dice roller. That's probably like the primo thing. And for Fantasy Flight, luckily there is a dice roller app and there's dice roller extension. But if you have one of those, that's really all you need because the rest of it can be theater of the mind. I could tell you what a cantina looks like. I could tell you guys what the spaceship looks like and we just go. Um, so it's that, that's about it. The, the, the only other hard part is, you know, calling up everybody and being like, what time are you free? And in what time zone is each person and doing all the math to figure out when it checks out so that everyone can either get up early enough or make sure they're home from work at the right time to play. OK, Mike asks, um, I went to the Fantasy Flight site and saw there is a ton of different stuff in their store. What do I actually need to buy so I, a beginner GM with beginner players, can play? Um, well, actually, this is also another easy question. And Brian and uh, GA, I mean, we've, we've all talked about this. So you guys can certainly chime in. But um, we're going to actually put a link when this gets posted. We'll have a link that you can follow my kind of directly to one of the sub pages of Fantasy Flight that will have this. But when you go looking under the RPGs, you should see something that says um, Star Wars, Age of Rebellion, Edge of the Empire, or Force and Destiny, the beginner game. The beginner game is a box. Uh, it's about... Uh, usually retails around 20 bucks. Um, and in it is a pre-generated adventure, a pre-generated rule guide, pre-generated characters, some dice, even some fold-out maps that literally, by the numbers, step-by-step, step, will walk you and your players through an introduction adventure. It will tell you as the GM, here's what you should say now. Here's what dice roll you should make. Here's exactly what you should do if the dice come out like this, like this, like this. It runs you through everything. Um so that you can all learn to play. It's a really great low price point. Uh, it's a really great entry. You basically spend $20 and you've got a full game for you and all your players. So you and your table full of players could each throw in three or four bucks. Get yourself this beginner box. Um, they have the full books. Those are great too. But you don't need those unless you're like really diving in. Um, beyond that, there's all this supplemental material. And that's like... You know, Jay, you mentioned like a corp fop or like a sort of political character. There are books for almost every single clash, every single, you know, specialization. So if Jay was really interested in like coming up with like the most super specific and awesome political character he could, then he might want to invest in one of those books. But for a beginner GM and a beginner player, you just that beginner box is the absolute perfect product. Um, and it's one of the best learn to play boxes I've played for any system ever. It's amazing. The fact that they give you dice for free in the box is like worth it in and of itself. Um, I think I, I, I think I'm actually I think you're buying pick, the beginner yeah, box. Right? Yeah, I, uh, I'm looking to buy the beginner box just because I want to learn how to GM a campaign myself. And I've got some friends that are interested in playing a pen and paper RPG for the first time themselves as well. So it just sounds like really the perfect buy. So stay tuned for the second campaign of Dyson Droids. We can see Brian make a fool of himself as a GM. Yeah, so, you know, actually, act, seriously, though, do stay tuned. I might actually record this and we'll put it up into the feed as uh, here's the beginner's GM Yeah, you experience. definitely are. Why would you not do that? It's That's a, dumb. Yeah, good, good point. <laughs> uh, I actually got... I've actually got the the Force and Destiny beginner uh, game like right next to me, and I'm looking in the adventure book, and I literally see a page that says like you're in combat, roll the dice. If it's a success, this is what happens. If the person is injured, this is what happens. And it's 
it's so unbelievably helpful to new gamers and new GMs that it's it's absolutely perfect. It's it's worth every penny. Um, and if you're not happy, then tell Brian and he will absolutely reimburse you. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Yeah. So yeah. Though, so stay tuned. Um, I'm probably gonna start doing this in the next month or so with uh, another group of players. So we might have that recorded in the feed for you as well. Um, Lucas asks, what was the genesis for of Dyson droids? Um, I think I talked about this on the begin or on the, uh, episode zero, but, um, I just finished binge watching a bunch of episodes of Penny Arcade's Acquisitions Incorporated. And I thought to myself, this would make a great Star Wars podcast. So I threw that tweet out there and said, Hey, would anyone be interested in this? And then Tom volunteered to GM. <laughs> And then we roped Nancy into it when we talked about RPGs generally on an episode, an earlier episode of Tashi Station. Yes. And we were kind of off from there. Yeah. yeah and then we uh, we threw out a little APB, seeing if anyone was uh, interested in joining us. So that's how we got uh, Jay, Show, uh, Rocky, and Saf. So yeah. Um, the uh, long story short, it was me wanting to crib uh, Acquisitions Incorporated for the podcast. Uh, That's how we get the best of our ideas. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we just steal it from other people. Yeah, you use it in an RPG, like I said. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Laura asks, um, and I think this is a good one for every everyone here because I think all of us have done this. Uh, it's interesting that some Legends elements have been used in the podcast. How do those get worked in? Um, for For me... It was because I knew Tom, uh, Tom had told us beforehand kind of the general sh setup for this campaign and that it was going to feature a lot of huts. So I flashed back to playing Knights of the Old Republic and Knights of the Old Republic 2 and uh, recalling the Narshada Nar worlds and how they were hut controlled and how there was all sorts of politics and animosity there. So that's how I used legend stuff. Uh, Nancy, did you use any legend stuff in your character or um, your gameplay? Not really specifically, but um, like I'm always reminded of what Jason Fry has said about it. This when people ask him about legends versus new canon, and it's that you know the background world building for Star Wars is there, and if it's if it can fit into what you're doing if it if you need like the name of a of a gun and it's there or a planet and it's there you know they're going to use that you know that's and that's how, what we've seen in the books and the comics and the video games so far uh so it's just that thing like oh well um my character will be from this planet and we'll fly this ship and that sort of thing so just that sort of background. I'm not going to like invent something totally new. You won't reinvent the wheel. Yeah. There's no. Just because it's legends. Yeah. A bit, then again, you know, I'm not going to be like, all right, let's bring in uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn to our campaign because, you know, that's going a little too far. Yeah, uh, Unless it actually happens, then that's awesome. <laughs> In which case, everybody... Versus, you found my character's true identity. <laughs> <laughs> so, show what about you? Have you used any Legends material or brought anything over into this uh, into this story? And I will preface by saying, nothing about our podcast and our campaign is canon. <laughs> Don't email anyone about it. It's not? No. Oh, I quit. <laughs> so, yeah, show. 
Um, not really, because so far I've I've seriously, I really have just been kind of like, okay, let's figure this out as I go along. Why not? <laughs> because I can't think of a good background, and we'll just see how my character interacts with others. Um. So, yeah, not really. Even like the whole. Oh, Togruta R, weak to the sun thing was my not so subtle. Oh, hey, my character apparently knows the Celestian and they don't get along super well. So I need, let's have my character wear a hood so no one can tell, but I don't want the, but I don't want the other characters to know why. So even that like wasn't from anything actual. That was just like my character being really bad at lying. Um... Yeah, so I haven't, like, really brought anything in so far. I might in the future because there's not a ton of solid information on Togruta in the current canon right now. Other than, like, what's in the Force and Destiny core book, as far as I'm aware. Gotcha. Uh, Jay, have you used anything yet? Or are you planning to bring anything in? Oh yeah, so first of all, uh, I don't think the distinction between Legends and Canon is as big as people seem to think they are, because especially when talking about um, background elements and lore elements, uh, Canon lore only exists insofar as someone has used it, so just because something's in Legends, like for example, if they say, you know, the population of this planet is X species, doesn't necessarily mean it's not canon, it just means nobody's used it yet. And from an RPG perspective, because we're creating and crafting our own stories, I, you know, there's really no issue pulling from legends or canon or even if we have to make stuff up liberally as long as it fits the setting and it fits our character and it's not overpowered. Um, but for me, I'm pulling a lot of legends because I wanted to play an Imperial character and I wanted to justify why is my Imperial character in this campaign? And so I used a lot of background knowledge that's developed in the Imperial court, not just, you know, because it fits my character, but because it's what I'm interested in. And it's just, I, I'm pulling from whatever storytelling sources I can find pretty much. Nice. And, and, and Tom, I know, I know you've done a couple of things. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, um, you know, to, to, I mean, the, the thing that we set out at the beginning of the campaign was that the campaign was is not canon obviously but and that our our general approach to this was that we were going to make every effort to follow canon as much as possible so crazy ridiculous things like hey the death star didn't get blown up at you know at the battle of yavin things like that are you know that's not part of our storytelling rebel lies the death star didn't blow up just so you know. <laughs> jay we're All not right. in character calm right down now. Percival. um <laughs> But that we were going to be telling our story. Ultimately, this is the story of um, the group of us, you know, and obviously, you know, Rocky and Saf, the others, um, sitting around a table, albeit virtually, and telling our Star Wars story as we would like to tell it. So there's almost no distinction in terms of our game between canon legends like it because all of it is being created by us and because we're the only ones who are beholden to it you know canon at a very basic level kind of you know uh, on one level jay it's certainly anything you know something that someone's referenced before but it even goes beyond that too it's canon just means something that it, a storyteller or a person in the future has to also be beholden to has to take into account and so you know if there's material that 
hasn't been used or at the moment doesn't have to be taken into account for storytelling that we happen to really like, like a character who appeared in the last episode, who's not legends so much. He's canon, but he's legends in that we haven't seen a sort of fleshed out version of him in a, you know, a version of him beyond what we've seen in the canon, like in terms of the future version of that character, you know, it's, we're trying to tell a great story and have fun. So we're going to use as many elements as we want. Even if that means at some point we decide collectively or one of us decides for a good story reason that, you know, Thrawn was to show up in in our game. You know, if Thrawn <laughs> happens to be at the the masquerade ball party thing that Jay and the rest of them are going to, then so be it. He would. Um, yeah, then so be it. Actually, then we're no, gonna he roll wouldn't. With that. Um, and I mean, as far as like my GM work, when I go around, when I go, you know, making you know, my plans that you guys are going to destroy, uh, you know, when I'm planning the game or planning elements or thinking, oh, this character, or, oh, this this event or this place or this thing, I honestly don't ever think, oh, wait, this is a Legends thing. Oh, this is a canon thing. Um, you know, I make sure, like, I'm not doing something that contradicts the, the, the solid, very important elements of canon that we're following. But as far as, like, little details and or, you know, little story elements, I never think, like, wait, this is a Legends thing. I'm just like, oh, that's cool. I'm using that. Uh, or, oh, that's awesome. I'm going to incorporate that or I'm going to take that and make my own little unique spin on it. Um, so they kind of get in there because we want them in there. Yeah, is, I mean- is really really the big thing the the legends is just another knowledge pool or another pool we can draw from like when we ran into malakili in the last episode (laughs) um (laughs) it 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 just it made perfect sense to say okay let me get you to dathomir so you can frolic in the tulips with rancors Mm-hmm. And it was just it was fun to do, but it was also a set of knowledge that I could that I could use to throw at the GM to see can I advance the plot with this? And you could. So it it's fun and it's useful to have. I want to state for the record that one of the questions in Star Wars trivia on the Disney cruise was uh, the name of the I had to identify as many characters as I could within 45 seconds. And one of them was Malakili. So he's been following me around. <laughs> uh, nice. And uh, the, the last question we have, this is from Matthew and uh, this is directed to Tom. How do you decide how much information to give to the players versus making them perceive it? Uh, give only, give them only what they need to survive. Uh, no, uh, actually that's kind of true. That's kind of, uh, I give them enough that the game and the story can keep going, that there is a decision point or that there's a reaction that the players can have. But for the most part, I don't try to make it too obvious because I'm perfectly happy if you guys miss a clue, if you miss something someone said, if you miss a description of something around you. Um, I'm perfectly okay with that because that's just sowing sort of elements of mystery or things I can bring back later. Um, But I want to give you guys enough that the story doesn't just stop dead, that you either sit there because you're either confused because you don't know, you don't have clarity, or you just don't have enough information that anyone feels like they can make any kind of decision to do anything. I don't want, you know, analysis paralysis or just general paralysis to send into the game. 
So I try to balance that really heavily. And there will be moments where I'll be a little heavier on a description or a little more blunt with my uh, with my information delivery. And there will be moments where I pull that back. Um, for example, the last episode, there were some conversation elements that when you guys were talking to some of the other characters, um, Brian and, and Nancy and Rocky, there were a couple of details and elements in those conversations you guys were having that I can I know you all missed. And yeah. I tried to repeat those elements a few <laughs> times to see if you would pick up on them. And after a few times, I noticed you guys still didn't get them. And so I said, OK, I'm not going to say it anymore. I'm just you know, I'm not going to seed those things anymore. I'm going to put that to the side. And now that's something that as the GM, I'm like, OK, they didn't pick that up. So I can, you know, I'll weave that in differently. I still, um, yeah, I, I listened back to that and I still don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I fail. I do. Aww. Aww. So for listeners, it can be very entertaining as well. Yeah. yeah oh, really? Wait, wait, wait. Show, you really do? All right. You and I are going to have to talk in a minute. We have to talk. So <laughs> I'm very curious I, to see if you actually did it. thing I noticed. So, um, so yeah, you know, you, tr you don't want to give people too much, but you always want to give them enough information that they have somewhere to go. Even if it's just asking like another question, like even if you're just like, what does that mean? Like that's a valid, you know, that's a valid way forward for the characters, you know, to just have them ask another question to gain more clarity. It's when you don't give them enough information and everyone's kind of just sitting there tapping their fingers for more than five seconds. That's when it's a problem. Um, and I would say that I probably err on giving more information at the onset of an adventure just to try to get some momentum uh, going, you know, and then later on you can give less and less and less so that they don't see the doom that's right in front of their face. Um, so, uh, listeners, I hope you enjoyed hearing um, the panic in my group uh, trying to figure out what to do and missing some <laughs> obvious clues. Yeah. And players, you know, I'm going to throw this out there. Uh, show you can attest to this better than anyone else. Um be careful how much information you give back to your GM. Uh, Sunny Windwalker. Particularly Sunny. when you don't really know what you're telling the GM. Uh, Whoop. Yeah. So Sunny Windwalker. Um, <laughs> yeah. I the, the, I think my favorite part about the last episode that we did was that we like, I mean, I know Brian and I were genuine in our fear because we're, you know, s sitting across from each other. But you could tell from Rocky, too, that we were all just kind of like. Uh, what do we do now? We really don't know. We were totally clueless. <laughs> and so then you just kind of have to throw things at the wall and see what sticks. Because, you know, Tom was very good at, you know, making it so we weren't getting out of that room <laughs> without some ingenuity. Yeah, and that you, ingenuity. You could have gotten out of the room. You, you could have. Okay. Oh, dang it. <laughs> see? panic there's always a way out of the room starting a fight i you know there was probably a stealthier way to get out of the room but i really like the idea of me just punching the per person next to me to start a fight <laughs> and then me trying to punch you and malakili <laughs> it's my friend that's my favorite mental image uh. <laughs> someone needs to do fan art of that please Malakili and Lane, BFFs. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up here, our inter our little interlude episode. Um, We're going to be back in a couple of weeks with the Merc team, I believe. Yep. Yep. And uh, we we're we'll coordinate all of that offline. But uh, 
we're having a lot of fun with this. Uh, it's going to keep on coming at you. The Merc team's up next. Um, and uh, just keep listening in. We're having fun with this. We hope you are, too. And uh, we will catch you all next time. So long, everyone. Bye. This podcast is still not canon. For more information about the campaign and Star Wars tabletop RPGs, visit Tashi-Station.net.